Would you turn with me to Psalm 117? We're going to read through the entire psalm twice. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Psalms 113 to 118 were psalms that were sung during the Passover. Uh, I read that Psalm 113 and 14 were sung at the beginning of the Passover meal and that Psalms 115 through 118 were actually sung at the end of the meal. And together all these psalms are what are called the Hallel Psalms because the great theme of the psalms is hallelujah, praise the Lord. Well, Psalm 117 is... It's the shortest psalm that we have. It's the middle psalm as they're arranged in Scripture. But there's a great deal that we can learn just from these two verses. The first thing that we could talk about that we see in this psalm is that only the Lord is worthy of praise. There is no other subject that we see in this psalm No other object of worship, of glory, of adoration, here or in any other part of Scripture. There is no other person, there is no man, no woman, no teacher, no ruler, no thing that is worthy of our praise except the Lord himself. There is no one beside him. And this alone is the most important thing that we can see here in this psalm. It's the most important thing that any person can ever know. And in fact, there's no use going on to anything else in your study of theology unless you see in the core of your being that this is true, that only the Lord, that only the Lord is worthy of praise. And all this can be seen in this little psalm, which is actually just an echo here of what would have already been sung on the Passover night at the meal. In Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, And because of your truth. Well, since the Lord is the only God, he is not worthy to be compared to any other thing that we can think or do or see. So if our praise or adoration, if our affection is shifted off of God to any other thing, if we delight in anything other than God, we become idolaters. What are idols? 
Well, again, Psalm 115, idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. And in this world, there's the ever-present opportunity to worship what the system of this world considers to be valuable, or to worship the things that we think that we've accomplished by our own strength. So the first thing here in this psalm is that only the Lord is worthy of praise. The second is that the Lord is to be praised by all people everywhere. This psalm is a call that all nations worship the Lord and render to him what is due him. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you feel or what you think about God. It does not change the fact that you owe God worship. There's no cultural relevance here. There's no Eastern versus Western philosophy. All creation is leveled flat before the presence of the one God to whom we owe everything. Now, some would look at psalms like this as fundamentally poetic in nature. They would think of it as something metaphysical or hypothetical, something that they could kind of view as subjective and brush aside, you know, it's easy that way with poetry. Well, I, I just don't get the muse of that poem. It, I'm not feeling what supposedly is there. But the Psalms are not fundamentally poetry. The Psalms are doctrinal. They're theological. And there's many places we could turn to in Scripture to prove that point. But I'll just mention a couple. One question is, what does Paul quote as a proof that man's unrighteousness serves to demonstrate God's righteousness. That is a complicated topic. But his answer to that question is quoting Psalm 51.4, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. That's the proof for that difficult question. Or when Paul is discussing righteousness credited by faith apart from works, what does he do? He references Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. He doesn't say it in a poetic way. He, he says it as a fact, as a declaration of that righteousness by faith. Or what does the writer of Hebrews do when he's defending the fact that Christ is divine and not an angel, that Christ is actually God himself, that he is the creator of all things. He then goes on to quote many psalms. So we cannot just ignore the psalms or view them in, in some beautiful way or look at them just in a, in a formal way, although they are written in, in a way that is aesthetically pleasing. Even the smallest psalm like we have here is profoundly Doctrinal, in fact, the Apostle Paul quotes verse 1 of Psalm 117 in Romans 15.11. And the context there in Romans 15 is an exhortation for the Christian to deny himself to please his neighbor for his own good, as Christ bore our sins on the cross for our good. 
So we are called to accept one another as Jesus Christ accepted us. And I thought we could just turn briefly to Romans 15 and read verses 8 through 11. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Jew, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles, to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, and he quotes Psalm 18, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. And I'll sing praise to your name. Again, he says, quote Deuteronomy, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples praise him. So the full significance of verse 1 of this psalm is that because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for sins, the promises of God or the blessings of God are offered in the gospel to the entire world, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, as Paul is mentioning there in the context of Romans 4. So think of that. Here you have the Jews at the Passover singing, praise the Lord, all nations. But the (laughs) <laughs> the fullness there is, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. So this is deeply, deeply profound. So now, what do we have? Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, the first thing we see is that only the Lord is worthy of praise. The second thing is that the Lord is to be praised by all people everywhere because the righteousness of God has been offered to all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. Well, the third thing we can see in this psalm is that the Lord is not only to be praised, but the Lord is to be greatly praised. And we see that in the repetition In verse 1, praise the Lord. In the second line, laud him. It's the same idea, bringing glory, magnifying the Lord. And then at the end there, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Now, the non-Christian looks at this as unnecessary excess. I mean, you know, to go to church on Sunday is fine as a civic duty. We need We need some structure, and we need to be nice to one another in our world. But to be consumed daily with a Godward view, to have our affections or our interests off of the things of the world on a daily basis, I mean, this is too much here. But that is exactly what we see in this psalm. We see this call to be consumed with the praise of God, and we see that in many other places in Scripture. Like Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or 1 Corinthians 10, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I I would admit that in this life, the danger for excess abounds. And we've all heard, you know, well, moderation. Moderation is the key. 
because we know that men have ruined themselves through both laziness and through ambition. We know that we can work too much and we can play too much. And we can rest too much and we can run too much. And we can care too much and we can feel too little. But the one thing that we can never do too much is to seek the Lord and to praise his name. And we are challenged to do this in Scripture. Time would fail us to go through all these, but we're challenged to seek his face continually, to be full of longing for the ways of the Lord and for the, the word of the Lord. Paul tells Timothy to be immersed in the things of the Lord. We're to keep seeking the things above in Colossians. Hebrews 13, through him then, through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, it says in Psalm 119. So our speech is a very important part of rendering to God what is due him in terms of great praise. Well, Jesus Christ is our great example, and the Christian, by definition, has been called to be like him, called to have a life that is a living sacrifice to God, a soothing aroma to God. So through Christ, we are to be continual sacrifices of praise to God. And this sacrifice involves the whole man. It involves the mind, the body, the emotions. Everything is to be yielded up continually to God in thanksgiving to him. And we see that picture many times in the Old Testament of a sweet-smelling aroma there in Leviticus, uh, of a lamp that's continually burning in the presence of God. Well, the lost person, in light of all this, asks why. Why do I need God? Why do, you, why do you say that I owe God anything? And it's the same, it's the same situation that Paul brought out in Romans chapter 2, that the lost man does not honor God or give thanks. He's not thankful. He doesn't see at all the loving kindness of God. But what does it say here in this psalm? Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for, the reason, for his loving kindness is great toward us. So we are to praise the Lord because of who he is as the only God, yes. But we see here something amazing, and that is that we are each objects of his loving kindness or of his faithfulness. And to show this, all we need to consider is the fact of the grace of God. That is that God gives to us what we have not merited, and he does it universally, without fail, <clears throat> any display, any display of God's goodness, of his kindness, of his long-suffering or mercy, is because God has been, first of all, gracious 
in giving you what you do not deserve. So universally, God's grace has been displayed to all creation in that he has given us breath, he has given us life, he's stamped his image, his attributes, like again, in, like it says in Romans, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been impressed uh, in the act of creation. So there's no animal, there's no organism, there's no molecule that can exist apart from the unmerited grace of God. Psalm 139 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. Or over all his works. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So it can't be denied universally that God is gracious. But we can go further than that. We can talk about God's grace particularly to every human being. And that is sometimes referred to as God's common grace. And this, again, is a theme in Scripture, that God causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, that he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In Matthew 7, Jesus says that evil people know how to give good gifts to their children. Well, how is that? How is it that people who hate the very God that hourly gives them breath are able to tenderly kiss their children at night and to care for them? It's because of the indiscriminate general grace of God in this world that every human being has been made in the image of God. That God has given us each a conscience. It's, it's a, a great thing. Even those who will reject God and will ultimately be in hell, it says in Acts 14, <clears throat> that God has satisfied their hearts with food and gladness in this world. God is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Why? God is patient with men because he wants them to repent. So, every person alive is infinitely indebted to God for the grace that he gives in this life. And for that reason alone, should praise him. But we can go further than that. What we have been reading about here is not only that God's loving kindness is great, but that his loving kindness is great toward us. And the full significance of this psalm is regarding the church. You see, although all men have been made in the image of God, his particular grace has been shown to the church in Jesus Christ. His 
covenant grace has been displayed to the church in Jesus Christ. God has repeatedly orchestrated world events. He's repeatedly established world powers, especially to preserve the church. He is bearing patiently with vessels of his wrath that has lost men in this life in order to make known the riches of his glory to the church. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. That's Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Everlasting life has been given as a free gift to the Christian because of the covenant grace extended to the church in Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, seven. So this grace in Christ is the great loving kindness of God that brings eternal life. And that's the full essence here in Psalm 117. All men are preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. All nations are urged to come to God and to praise him as is due his name because of the great loving kindness that has been secured for the church in Jesus Christ. So, only the Lord is worthy of praise. He is to be greatly praised. He is worthy of praise by all creation, by all people, and most significantly, by every Christian, because his loving kindness has been ultimately displayed to the church in Jesus Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, goes on to say, by grace you have been saved. Well, we are to praise God because of his great loving kindness, and it it goes on, it says, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting or the faithfulness of the Lord is everlasting. God is worthy of praise because his truth does not end. God is faithful, and all the things that he does is right. Every other thought that a man has, I think, ultimately is just going to shrink into oblivion in eternity before the everlasting truth of the Lord in Jesus Christ. So God help us to render to him the praise that is due his name. God help us to see daily his loving kindness, the greatness of his loving kindness specifically to us as Christians and to be full of thanksgiving in our hearts because his loving kindness is everlasting. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Everything we've discussed here today will always be so. It's never going to change. It's never going to end. So, God help us today to praise him rightly. What shall we render to the Lord for all his benefits toward us?